Well, good morning. If you have your copy of God's Word in front of you, you may want to be turning to Matthew chapter 27. Whether you open and turn or flip or scroll or whatever it may be, we'd like for you to be turning to Matthew 27, and we'll begin there in just a moment. We are really grateful that you are here, thankful for a good crowd. I must admit that after last Sunday, where we kind of crept just so slightly over the century mark again for the first time in a long time, we had around 105, that's the actual count, not the preacher count. Uh, We had finally over 100 again for the first time in a long time, but we knew our teens and some of our parents would be gone today, so I thought, well, our numbers will be back down, but we're glad that you are here. Thankful for the good crowd, several that are back with us who have not been able to be out in a while, and especially to our visitors, we're grateful that you have come our way. Uh, We hope that you can be back with us again this evening for our uh, service, for our worship service and our study. Uh, Brother Jerry Corbin and I like to give each other a hard time as we teach and things. Most of you are aware of that. But we also share a love for our brother Wayne Jackson, who passed away several years ago, and the work that he did. And his sons continue with the Christian Courier. And Jerry often gives me some of his articles and things as uh, they send out their mail out for some good sermon ideas. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight with the idea of, that some people promote of the impossibility of apostasy. Or what we commonly call it is the idea of once saved, always saved. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit tonight. We hope that you can be back with us. The teens are supposed to be back. The word that I had received just as we were about to begin our services was that they were already on the road. I think they got up this morning and had breakfast and had their worship service uh, there at the cabin about 9 o'clock and were already on their way back. So they'll be back with us and we hope that you can be as well. You know, I have uh, a lot of books in my library, books that I have uh, had for a while and other books that I continue to collect. But one of the things that I like to do from time to time is to go through those books, especially the ones that are sermons from older preachers. Some preachers are just, you know, famous in the brotherhood for many of their great lessons. And I've looked through those from time to time to find sermons that are, that are interesting, but it's also neat to sometimes look back and see how maybe the illustrations changed. You know, you're not going to open many of those books and find something that talks about cell phones or the internet, uh, but they're also very good to find some good sermons. And I want to share with you one this morning from one of those particular books. Of course, if I open it up on the inside, it says, from the library of William A. Greer, Jr., so it was given to me. Uh, I appreciate that, but this is called Saving Faith and Other Sermons by our brother H.A. Dixon. H.A. Dixon was a president at Freed Hardeman College at the time. He began serving there in 1950 and served for about 20 years. They said that he really helped the college, the university, of course, now grow. When he began in 1950 to serve as president, there were, were about 50 students And after about 10 or 12 years, he had grown it to 500 students. And, of course, our family was continuing to be blessed by that. My wife Hannah served as an RA in what is known as Dixon Dormitory when we were there at Freed Hardeman. And so there's a lot of good sermons in this. But as I was kind of flipping through some of those books, I I came upon one that I'd like for us to look at this morning. You know, when we talk about, and we've shared this as an illustration sometimes here at the congregation, but we sometimes keep a running list of names from the Bible that you wouldn't use for your own children, right? We just talk about that. The, the two that are usually at the top of my list are Ahab and Jezebel, right? Nobody really names their kids Ahab and Jezebel for various reasons, but also for the fact that they're, of course, some of the most evil people that we read about on the pages of the Old Testament. But one that's kind of to the top of that list would be the name Judas, There are some takes on that, some variations, and you may know someone named Judas. There's certainly nothing wrong with the name or just because you bear the name maybe of someone who has a a history that people know about doesn't mean anything in and of itself. 
But Judas, or the idea of Judas Iscariot is a name that we probably stray away from because of what we know about Judas. Now, it is kind of interesting that what we know about Judas is really not that much. It's kind of small when you think about it. I appreciate our brother Jeff, as we always do, and all of our men who take the time to lead us in our thoughts as we partake of the Lord's Supper. Uh, but I didn't give Jeff the assignment, but he did great this morning to open us to Matthew chapter 26 because we began to read about the little bit that we know about Judas Iscariot. The main passage that we would commonly turn to, though, is Matthew chapter 27, verses 3 through 10. Now, we wouldn't take a lot of time to talk about Judas because we don't know much. We could take several moments this morning, and I'm going to have to kind of set it aside, but we could take several moments to talk a little bit about some of the controversy surrounding Judas. There are some things, in fact, Brother Dixon in his sermon took the introduction to kind of go over some of the so-called discrepancies that are there in the Bible that people say are there in the Bible. Let me clarify that. One of those is Matthew chapter 27 and verse number 7, where it says that the chief priests, when Judas brings the money, the blood money, as it's called, back to them, that the chief priests go and they purchase this field. They buy the potter's field. If you go over to Acts chapter 1, though, Acts chapter 1 and verse number 18, it is stated that this man purchased the field. So this is one of those things, there are a couple different points of controversy if we had time to get into this morning that people would say, well, which one was it? Was it Judas that purchased the field or was it these chief priests? And there must be a problem there. Although we could think about Acts chapter 1 as being sort of that general idea. He purchased it in the sense that he had done the deed, he had acquired the money, he had given the money back to the chief priests, and then they took it and they purchased it. So not necessarily the physical act, but the idea behind it. And so there are a lot of ways that we could talk about Judas. But we, one thing we know for sure is that the name of Judas Iscariot will always be associated with sin. It will always be associated with the thing that he did, the one thing that we know that he did. Question, do you think that Judas was totally evil? Or go further, do you think that Judas did anything good in his lifetime? I would assume the answer would be yes. I don't think he was wholly, totally devoted to evil and just this horrible, awful person. So we know that he was probably good in some ways, but we also don't know any of those things. It's not recorded for us, but his name will always be associated with sin. There's little that we know about him, but we know enough. And one thing that we can learn, or some of the things that we can learn about him, are the nature, the character the consequences, and the guilt of sin. Three simple points this morning. The lesson will be yours, but we will understand some things about the idea of sin. Number one, sin is always worse than we think it is going to be. Sin is always worse than we think it is going to be. We won't go around the auditorium and ask for a show of hands or ask for any of your own stories that you have, and I won't share any of mine, but most of us would agree that that is absolutely, without a doubt, 100% the case in our lives. Whatever it might be, when we have been engaged in sin, it was probably a lot worse than we thought it was going to be. We even go back to the simplicity of maybe a young child who reaches into the cookie jar and gets a cookie out when it's not time to have cookies and they get in trouble for that. Whether it's a spanking or, or something else, they realize that it's a lot more than what they bargained for when they thought they were just trying to get a snack or a cookie. 
But we go even further back, all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. Do you think that Adam fully recognized what was going to come after he and Eve partook of the fruit? Do you think he knew exactly what was coming? He, he might have known what he was doing, but do you think he realized how bad it was going to be? What about Cain? Do you remember Cain in Genesis chapter 4 and verse number 13? After Cain kills Abel, he makes this statement, My punishment is greater or heavier than I can bear. Exclamation point. Uh, uh, emotion. Pouring forth. My punishment is greater than I can bear. Do you think he realized what he was getting into or how great the sin would be? We're going to talk about the book of Joshua God be willing, in the month of February or March, because that is the theme for our children for the Bible Bowl for Lads to Leaders for the year 2022. And so we'll take the month of February or March and look at the book of Joshua. But do you remember in Joshua chapter 7, the sin of Achan? The sin of Achan. The children of Israel go into battle with the people of Ai, and they are destroyed because of the sin of Achan. What did Achan do? He just took a few things. He just, he just grabbed a, a few things, probably three or four things of gold or silver that he wanted, and he went and he hid them under his tent, and yet his people are defeated because of his sin. Do you think in the moment he realized how bad it was going to be? Just a few things. What about Samson? We think about Judges. Uh, Judges chapters 13 through 16, where we think about Samson. Samson was always toying with sin, if you will. Always thinking that he could get out of the situation that he would get himself into. And, and really that was because he would get into the situation, but he knew that with his own strength, with what he could do, he could get out of whatever it was. Why do you think Samson is recorded in Scripture? Why do you think we know about Samson in the book of Judges? Possibly it's because we need to understand the nature of sin. You know, we think even in the New Testament about the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. I preached on that this year. I think Charles preached on it once. We talked about it at our vacation Bible school. But do you think the prodigal son knew what was coming? I think we all agree, no. Uh, he, he was going to live life. He was going to take and to spend. Do you think he saw the pig pen in his future when he set out from home? Sin is always worse than we think it is going to be. Those are some Old Testament references and even a parable from, from our Savior Jesus. But what about you? And what about me? I've got stories as well. You know, Judas had one motive here in this particular instance. His one motive was the money. I mean, it was greed. Do you think that Judas had an idea? He had witnessed Jesus do many things. He had witnessed Jesus work miracles. Do you think that he had the idea, possibly, that I would just get the money, I would just give him up, but you know, I bet he could save himself. I mean, I want that money, and I'm, I'm greedy, but I bet he could take care of this. Do you think it ever crossed the mind of Judas that we sing? He could have called 10,000 angels. I know he can, so I'm just going to get what I want, and then he'll take care of himself. He's Jesus. This is the story of every person who starts the practice of sin. This is it. We think it's not going to be that bad, and yet it ends up worse sometimes than we can ever imagine. Think for just a moment of all the poverty in our world. Think of all the broken homes and families, the relationships. It almost always begins because of one person's choice, sometimes two people. But it begins because of the choice to get involved in sin. 
And what ensues is broken homes and poverty and trouble and the problems. You know, let's think about it this way for just a moment. One of the problems I think, and Brother Dixon points out in his outline, one of the problems that we have in measuring sin, one of the reasons that we struggle to quote-unquote measure sin is because every sin we commit is really against God. We don't always think of it that way. Sometimes in the moment we get caught up, you think about Cain killing Abel. It might have been one of those moments of anger kind of caught up in it. We don't always think about the long-term effects of what we're doing. But be sure, this morning, and as long as this earth continues to stand, going forward, every sin we commit is against God. We might think that no one else is going to know. We might not think it's a big deal. We might think that it's not going to affect others. But we need to recognize that one reason we struggle to really measure the true effect of sin is because we forget about the fact that every sin is something we commit against God. You think about Joseph, Genesis chapter 39 and verse number 9. Joseph makes that great statement. You want to talk about in the moment, right? Cain killed Abel in the moment. You think about crimes of passion, so to speak, in in the moment. What about Joseph in the moment, in the clutches of the woman so to speak and he says how can I do this great wickedness against you against my master against myself how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God that's the problem we're sinning against God David in Psalm 51 in verse number four that's of course not the account of David's sin but we recognize Psalm 51 seems to be written by David in the time where he is reflecting upon that and we sing it And our young people sing it sometimes in their devotional songs. Psalm 51, David says, against you. Well, now, wait a minute. Let's think again. I mean, there's a long line of people who said, David sinned against me. David took my life. David did this to me. But David says, against you and you only have I sinned. We might say he did sin against those others. He did cause trouble. He did commit murder in a sense and have all these other things But he says, against you and you only have I sinned to God. What about Numbers chapter 32 and verse number 23? Numbers 32, 23. We know that phrase, we know that passage, even if you couldn't quote it or or put it into context right off the top of your head, because we, we think about it because the phrase is used, be sure your sins will find you out, right? So we talk about that when we talk about sin. We know our sins will find us out. We're going to get there in just a moment. But Reuben and Gad are, are having a discussion here, and they're, talking, and, and they're talking about going and fighting with the children of Israel. Moses is going to look to him, and he's going to say, If you do not keep your word, you have sinned against the Lord. And he goes on to say, And be sure your sins will find you out. But the statement there in contact, context is, If you do not keep your word, you've sinned against the Lord. Would they have sinned against their brothers and their family, the children of Israel, and that they didn't keep their word and maybe allowed them to suffer punishment or or defeat? Yeah, I guess so. But if they don't keep their word, they've sinned against the Lord. Think about all the crime that goes on around us. I I mean, again, another kind of interesting thing, Brother Dixon points out in his outline, the idea of juvenile crime and juvenile crime being on the rise. And I I wonder when that sermon was, but it's, it's still the case, right? That young people are involved in very serious things. What about all the perverted people in this world and the perverted things that they do, the sin that they're involved in? What about the ministers and elders who get caught up in sin and sinful ways? 
People that we hold in high esteem, but yet we have to realize they're still human and they mess up. All of those things come because we underestimate sin and we don't think it's going to be that big a deal. Nobody's going to find out and it's not a problem. But yet we need to realize that sin is always worse than we think it is going to be. Number two, we have to also realize in connection with what we were just saying that we cannot run away from our sins. You know, we don't have a record in Matthew 27, or, or really in, in the Bible, I guess I should say. We don't have a record uh, of anyone coming to Judas and saying, look what you have done. You know, we don't have a record of people approaching him and accosting him or blaming him in any kind of way. He knew. He knew what he had done. He could not get away from it. You think about Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 7. Paul would write, do not be deceived. Do not fool yourself. Do not trick yourself into thinking. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatsoever a man sows that he will also reap. And Judas is living that out. He couldn't get away from it. We don't have to see if anybody did or if they didn't approach him and blame him or say, look what you've done. Because he knew. There are other passages that, that kind of carry forth with it, the same idea. Turn over to 2 Samuel if you have just a moment. We'll come back, of course, to Matthew 27. But 2 Samuel chapter 12, chapters 11 and 12, of course, is the sin of David or are the sins of David with Bathsheba and with Uriah. And chapter 12 is that great passage of Nathan the prophet confronting him and saying, you are the man. You are the one who has done these things. And in verse number 9, Nathan says to David, You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. You read on down through verse 15 and Nathan continues to share those things with him. And do you know what follows? I know you do. Chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 are all filled with all of those things coming true. And at the end of 2 Samuel chapter 18, in verse number 33, David cries out, mourning for his son Absalom. The king was deeply moved, chapter 18, verse 33, and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he said thus, O oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, if only I had died in your place, O oh, Absalom, my son, my son. We might say that this is not the total picture, but we might also can note here that it seems that it is dawning on David that he is reaping what he has sown. All of these things have come about, and he cannot get away from his sin. You know, our character is destroyed by our sin. When we think about trying to get away from our sin or having sin in our lives, our character is destroyed by our sin. We talked about Proverbs a few Sunday nights ago in our book of the month, but Proverbs chapter 28 and verse number 1. Do you remember what it says? Proverbs 28, 1. The wicked flee when no man pursueth. I mean, that's what happens, right? We kind of get caught up. We get nervous. We're unsure of what we're going to do because we know that we're trying to keep something hidden that we want don't want people to know about, but that's not the way that it works. In fact, Judas has something that is very helpful, and it's the same thing that you and I have. It's the idea that we have a God-given instrument to help, and that's our conscience. 
to help us, to try to help us see when we are wrong. Judas was not beyond feeling. If you're still there in Matthew 27 or if you turn back, Matthew chapter 27 and verse number 3 points out that he was remorseful. Now that's the new King James that I usually use here in the pulpit, but Matthew 27 and verse 3, he was remorseful. He was not without feeling. He had a conscience and it was bothering him. And we recognize that we cannot run away from our sins. Now, we know the Bible talks in other places, and sometimes we can get to the point where we are seared with a hot iron, where we are beyond feeling, and we can do things, and we don't feel bad anymore. Many people in the world have gotten to that point. We look around us, and we see the poverty and the troubles and the problems and the sin, and we say, how in this world could we get to this point? How could people get to the point that they're willing to do these things And part of the answer is most of them have gone beyond feeling. They don't have a conscience anymore, or at least one that bothers them. His conscience would not let him alone. It brought him back in Matthew chapter 27 to confess. To confess. And we're thankful for that in a sense. We're going to come back to the steps he took in just a moment at the end. But his help. His instrument that God gave him is the same one he gave to us, and that's a conscience, because we can't run away from sin, and we need to listen to our conscience. We need to listen to our guilt. Our sin will find us out, and we need to remember that even as we look at the life of Judas. But then number three, and finally this morning, we need to realize from the life of Judas that we ourselves cannot undo our sins. In chapter 27 of Matthew and verse number 4, his words, the words of Judas, his words, I have sinned. I have sinned. That's what he says. He confesses in a sense, and he's willing to say this. But although he said it, he could not undo what he'd already done. Although he tried, didn't he? He made a first attempt, chapter 27 and verse number 5. His first attempt to undo what he had done was that he returned the money, right? He, he had this thought maybe in his mind, if I can just put it back, if I could just, get, I, I could just do that, right? If I could just give the money back, that'll be an attempt. And if I, they'll take it back, then maybe I'll be okay. I'll feel better. That was his first attempt. But he made a second attempt as well, right? It's at the end of verse number five. He went and he hanged himself. His second attempt to try to undo his sins was to take his own life. Maybe that'll be better. Maybe that's what I deserve. And and so that's his second attempt. But guess what? He still couldn't undo what he had done. I mean, granted, he's gone now. His life was gone on this earth, but it was too late. We ourselves cannot undo our sins. In fact, we could say it this way. No act of sin can be erased. No consequence escaped. You know, we, we teach our young people sometimes. We, had, we did this at Bible camp this summer that we went to. One of the men was teaching the boys, uh, talking to our young men. And others of you have used something like the idea of squeezing the toothpaste out of the uh, toothpaste container and then trying to put it back in, right? It just doesn't work. No matter how hard you try, you can't get it all back in there. Not every single drop. You can't make it as it once was. We cannot erase the things that we do. Most all of us probably all of us, if we're being honest, have uttered those words that come out and we almost physically want to reach out and grab them and try to bring them back and it's just too late. 
And unfortunately, not only can no act of sin be undone or erased, but those consequences must come as well. When we strive to grab those words, but we can't reach them, then we have to deal with what we've done, who we've hurt, the things that we've said. Whatever it may be, no act of sin can be undone, no consequence escape. But the point that we can learn this morning or be reminded of is we can be forgiven. We can be forgiven. You see, Judas did something. He realized he had sinned, and he even made a couple of attempts to try to make it right. But let's contrast him for just a moment as we begin to conclude this lesson and make application. Think about this for just a moment. The other person that we, we put Judas in his own category sometimes and realize how awful he was and, and what he did. But the other person that we sometimes bring pretty close to Judas is Peter, right? Because the only thing worse than actually offering Jesus up to be crucified or to turn him over to be crucified is Peter who denied Christ, right? He denied him to his face, basically. Is that worse than Judas? Some people might argue that. But what does Peter do? Well, he makes a couple of attempts as well. His first attempt is in Luke 22 and verse 62. In verse 61, we read that awful, awful, awful idea that Jesus locks eyes with Peter. When Peter denies him the third time, Jesus turns and looks at him. And we've all seen that look from our mother or our significant other or spouse or whoever. We realize that we've been caught in wrong and how that pierces through you, but take it and translate it, extrapolate it out to the Savior about to be crucified. But in verse 62, Peter makes an attempt to try to undo what he had done, and then he goes out and he weeps. Sort of similar to Judas, we might say. An attempt to do something. Sorrow. But Peter makes a second attempt, and we read about it more in John chapter 21, because Peter's second attempt is not to hang himself because of what he had done, but it's to repent. It's to change. And the first time, one of the first times that they're going to see Jesus after he is resurrected, Peter's going to be running. Peter's going to be the first one that is there. And in John 21, Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. Rather than continuing with Judas's line and hanging himself, he repents. The second attempt for Peter is much better because he changes his life. We often say that repentance is a changing of our mind that leads to a changing of our life. Judas was remorseful, but he didn't change his life other than to take his own life. Peter was remorseful, but Peter said, I'm not going to stop there. I'm going to then move on and repent and change my life. Yes, Lord, I love you. Yes, I will follow after you. We cannot escape consequences. But God be thanked, even this morning, we can be forgiven. We cannot escape consequences, but God provides a way to remove the guilt. You know, I admit this morning, sin's not fun to talk about. It wasn't exactly a feel-good sermon. It's not something, even if you're here this morning and, and you're not in the middle of some type of sinful lifestyle, even if you're here and you think you're doing your, the best you can, you're doing what's right, and we're thankful for that, even in that instance, sin's not fun. Nobody wants to talk about it. We don't want to have to deal with it. But here's the thing. It does open the door for God's grace. Sin opens the door for God's grace to come in. And as we conclude this lesson this morning, we ask for you to consider your life. And even in light of Judas, Judas believed. 
And we might say that Judas got close to repenting. But he didn't go all the way and fully commit a life to serving Jesus as Lord and Savior. At least not after what he had done there. This morning, there's a good possibility that you believe the word. That you believe in Jesus Christ. We hope that then you'd be willing to repent of your sins. To change your mind, which then changes your life. To turn away, as we sometimes say. Repent of sin. Then you can confess Jesus as Lord even before this great audience that is assembled here this morning. And then you're ready to be baptized for the remission of your sins. Where you come in contact with the blood of Christ that has the power to wash away sins. And if you're willing to do that, then the Lord will add you to his church. And you can begin to live faithfully. But as most people in this room can attest to, that is very, very hard. Even as Judas wasn't a totally evil person and lived a life probably of some good things, we do as well. We're added to the church by the Lord and we live faithfully for a time, but we turn our back on God. If you're here this morning and you're a child of God, if you stand in need of his second law of pardon, we'll be singing to encourage you as well, that you would confess your sins even before this audience if you need to do so. If it's of a public manner, we're thankful that one of our elders will come forward in just a moment and be willing to, to talk with you and pray with you and for you. You can repent of your sin and pray for forgiveness, and God is faithful and willing to do just that. See, Judas is a pretty bad story in some ways, but we know the way he ended it. He took his own life and was not willing to change. Right now, this morning, as we are about to sing this song of invitation, you can change your life. You can become a child of God or come back to him, and we're thankful for that opportunity. And pray and sing to encourage you, even now as we stand together and as we sing.